Hello and welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. My name's Darren and I'm here with Faith. Hi. Pastor Faith. And we will get to the sermon in just a little bit, but we wanted to make some time and space to talk about something special that we've been having on Sundays. And it's a new song that Pastor Faith, you and your husband, Josh, wrote, and we've shared it with our community. Tell us a little bit about it. What's the name of it? Yeah. And where did it come from? Yeah, so it's called We Need You. Um, and I, I'm going to root this in 1 Corinthians 2 when Paul says, My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Um, the, the first thing that was written for this song was the beginning of that bridge section that says, We don't need better plans. We don't need clever thoughts. We need your Spirit, O oh God. We don't want the wisdom of man. We want we want a display of God's power, which is really what the world needs. They don't need to see a show, or even in the area of worship, they don't need to hear good music. We need to see a display of the power of God. So it came from that heart cry. And then the beginning of the song kind of sets up this space where we invite Holy Spirit, we open our hearts, we clear out all the distractions, the things that get in the way and then just simply cry out for more of Him. And it's this this longing to be a, a space where the Spirit would rest mm-hmm. as a community. Yeah, I love that. That's such a the heart and core value of Garden Church. Exactly. Knowing that the Spirit is present, like He's welcome to the party and we get to celebrate. And I so appreciate the beauty and creativity that you've been cultivating, not only with worship, but just something that we can invite the rest of our community into. And, and it's so cool when, when uh, in the recording of this song, it's the first time that we shared it. And it's like people have been singing it for weeks. <laughs> and it was just such a cool thing to experience. And so we're so happy for those of you that have experienced that with us on a Sunday morning. And we want to see just more original songs being birthed from this place um, that you're talking about, just being saturated in the Holy Spirit. So we are welcoming you to stick around after the sermon where you can hear a live recording of the song, We Need You, and I hope it blesses your heart. Garden Church Podcast. Well, hi. How many of you were able to make the conference? Oh, that's awesome. We had such a good time, didn't we? And uh, thank you for, uh, for being here. And this is my, actually, my first time I've ever actually been to the city. So pretty exciting. And uh, I feel like the Lord's given me a word for you. So we'll just pray it goes well. I'm going to pray in case Darren's didn't work. (laughs) Lord, thank you for what you're doing with these people. And Lord, I pray that you would have no mercy on these people. You would give them pressed down, shaken together, and running out all over. And I bless what you're doing here in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, I'll tell you just a little bit about me, so kind of get to know you. um, I, I met my wife when she was 12. We got engaged when she was 13. That's a true story. And we got married when she's 17, and we have four kids, and we have 11 grandkids and a great-grandson. And um, I actually like the grandchildren much better than the children. I would <laughs> actually skip right to grandchildren if I would have known. So we've been married 48 years, and we were in business for uh, 20 years. We owned nine different businesses, all in the automotive field. And then we came to Bethel Church 25 years ago to 
start the Bethel School of Ministry, which uh, you know, has grown to 2,600 students, um, and 972 of our students are international. So it's been really a lot of fun to see God move powerfully. And um, so today I, I have uh, like about three or four things going on in my mind. I, I want to begin by when I, when I first came to this little town called Weaverville, I, was in, I grew up in the Bay Area in uh, San Jose, Sunnyvale area. And then uh, I had a nervous breakdown that lasted three and a half years. I always feel like, you know, if you're going to do something, like, do it well. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and then write a book about it, because it's better to be rich and miserable than poor and miserable, because at least you can go shopping. So um, I ended up in this little town, uh, Weaverville, California, which you probably have never heard of. It's a, it's a town of uh, about 3,000 people. And um, the short story is uh, we, we ended up in an Assembly of God church with 40 people in it. It's an old Pentecostal church where you could tell when the spirit moved because one lady got up and shaked and yelled and screamed and said, thus saith the Lord. And it was kind of fun. She had two themes. She didn't like women wearing makeup and she didn't like people going to the theater. So she mixed those up every Sunday <laughs> and we knew the Lord was moving. <laughs> I wish I had more time because I could tell you some very funny stories. But let me just say, after six weeks of Bill Johnson being there, she got carried out by the six elders. She was a very heavy lady, and she prophesied against us all the way out the door. Ichabod, the glory had departed. But actually, it was her who departed, and the glory finally came. And so that was beautiful. And uh, a a man called Bill Johnson became our senior pastor. And uh, we, at the time, we were in business. Uh, When Bill came, we were running a business. And uh, Bill's very first message, um, he, he taught on Matthew chapter 6, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. And um, I, I heard that message many times, of course, before. I'd been a Christian for many years before I met Bill. But Bill said this, that really changed my life. He said, some of you have the idea, like, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. And he said, some of us have this list, like first I seek the kingdom, and then maybe like my family, then maybe my ministry, we have this list. And Bill said, he said, actually Jesus said seek the kingdom and there's no second. So if it's not in the kingdom, you shouldn't be doing it. And at, at first I thought he meant, well, we're not going to be doing very much. But then I realized that Bill went on to say, when you received Jesus Christ, you became a royal priesthood, a holy nation. And he said, Um, as soon as you receive Jesus Christ, from that day forward, nothing you do is secular. Everything you do is sacred. And what happened in one message is that Bill took my, I was a mechanic at the time running a repair shop, and he took what I did as a mechanic and he he made it sacred. And he said, you know, Romans 12 says, Offer your body as a living sacrifice to God with your spiritual service of worship. And it goes on to say, don't be conformed. This world will be transformed by the renewing of your mind. But how many understand when, when you receive Jesus Christ, you became a new creation? That word new means prototype, never before created. When you receive Jesus, you went from sinner to saint. How many of you know you're no longer a sinner when you receive Christ? That you became a saint, which means holy believer. And in the book of Revelation... Um, Jesus said, I hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans. The word Nicolaitan means conqueror of the lay people. And they were the people who divided the body of Christ into two groups of people. The people who got ministered to and the people who ministered. 
And Jesus said, I hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans. How many of you know when you receive Jesus Christ, you become a royal priest? Like there's only one class of people. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. And what I'm getting at is this, is what the guitar player did today when leading worship, what he did was holy because he was worshiping God. But how many of you know what I did with my wrenches as a mechanic was equally as holy? Because when I dedicate my life to Jesus Christ, from that day forward, everything I do is on to the Lord. And, are you with me? So I, I want to talk a little bit about uh, the presence will go with you. Would you turn to Exodus chapter 33? And what happened to, to me immediately is I began to realize that my job, how many know Jesus said, I will build the church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He said, I'll build the church, but 127 times he said, he said, preach the kingdom, extend the kingdom, the kingdom's right at hand. How many know that Jesus said, I'll build the church, you extend the kingdom? The challenge is we build the church and wonders who's extending the kingdom. And I'd like to point out that Jesus actually wants to extend the kingdom through us. When, when we built businesses, we had auto parts stores and auto repair shops. And when I realized that if you give a, a cup of water to someone in Jesus' name, how many know you've done it onto him? So suddenly, holy ministry, like how do you do, Jesus said, do your good works in such a way that people see your good works and they glorify your Father in heaven. And so my daily job was, how do I, get, how do I sell auto parts in a way that people actually experience the king when they're actually buying auto parts. Like the Queen of Sheba, she comes to see the wisdom of Solomon. And what does she see? The way his table's set. The way his waiters are dressed. The way he has, a, he has a staircase built from his house to the temple. My point is, is that she saw practical things and she said, you are twice as wise as I heard in my country. And, I, and my goal today is for us to see that we are full of the kingdom and the kingdom within us becomes the kingdom around us. That we don't have to, we, we don't even have to at times preach Jesus, but we can extend the kingdom of God. And what you do every day, maybe you know, you're like, you know, I wanna be in the ministry. How many know as soon as you receive Christ, you're in the ministry? You may suck at it, but you're in it. <laughs> are you with me? Like the goal isn't for get people to come to church, but to become the church. Okay, here we go. Let's turn to Exodus 33. Did I tell you that already? Verse seven. Now Moses used to take. He, Mo, now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp. Everybody say outside the camp, a good distance from the camp, and he called it the tent of meeting. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. Everybody say outside the camp. And it came about that whenever Moses went out to the tent that all the people would arise and stand each at the entrance of his tent and gaze after Moses until he entered the tent. Whenever Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend at the entrance of the tent and the Lord would speak with Moses. When all the people saw the cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would arise and worship each at the entrance of his tent. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face just as a man speaks to his friend. When Moses returned to the camp, his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. Then Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you yourself have not let me know whom you will send with me. Moreover, you have said, 
I have known you by your name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, I pray, if I have found favor in your sight, let me know your ways that I may know you, so that I may find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. And the Lord said, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Then he said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not lead us from here. For how then can it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not that you're going with us so that we, I and your people, may be distinguished from all other people on the face of the earth? I, I want to point out just a couple of things here. This is going to be pretty simple. But Moses pitched a tent outside the camp. And it, the Bible says that everyone who sought the Lord went where? Outside the camp. <laughs> and when Moses would go to the tent, which was outside the camp, the people would stand at the door of their tent and they would worship. Uh, um, it speaks to me of people. Did you notice that everyone who really was seeking the Lord would go outside the camp to the tent? but the people worshiped at their tent. And I'm pointing out that worship always is a step beyond convenience. And we live in a culture that doesn't want to be inconvenienced. We live in a culture, okay, here we go. I'm probably going to maybe offend some people. I'm not trying to. I'm just trying to point out that we live in a culture in which we don't want our relationship with God to cost us anything. I'll watch online. It's like it's menu Christianity. And yet it says, the Bible says that everyone who actually sought the Lord went outside the camp. And it specifically says that the people actually stayed at their camp. And I'm pointing out that you can't have convenience and follow the Lord. (laughs) That the Lord has actually called us a step beyond convenience. That actually worshiping God and following God will actually cost you something. Like sacrifice, how many know that thanksgiving is our response to God's acts? Praise is our response to God's character. But worship is our response to his presence. How many know thanksgiving, the words that I share with God are sacrifice? In praise, the words that I share with God are sacrifice. In worship, the sacrifice is me. And what I'm getting at is that worship would al- will always cost us something. Are you with me? Have you ever, have you ever been in a, in, a, in a time of worship, like we're worshiping and you don't feel like it? And you think you're being a hypocrite? I'd like to point out that when you don't feel like it and you worship anyway, you're not being a hypocrite, you're actually being sacrificial. Like God actually honors when you're led by the spirit and not by the soul. How many know emotions are great servants but terrible masters? But the, next, the, but the most important part of what I want to show you today is that Moses, Moses encountered God face to face in the tent. And yet the, and yet the cry of Moses' heart is that what happened at the tent What Moses experienced at the tent, the presence of God, face to face. He's like, God, I love your presence at the tent, but I can't live at the tent. What I need from you is I need you to actually go with me 
so that when I'm away from the tent, I have the same access to you as I have at the tent. And I want to tell you that I have this challenge that I've been sharing with our own, our own church for the last, actually a couple years, but especially more intently. We call the, our Sunday service, I don't know what you guys call yours, but we call our Sunday service the worship service. And the, con, the idea is that when the music starts, that we say, well, wasn't the worship amazing? And I'd like to, I'd like to propose that we are creating a dualistic mindset with our people in that when the music starts, we have a high expectation that God's going to do something powerful. And I love that. But I'd like to propose that music is not worship. That you could have great music and not have worship because worship is what happens with the heart of people, not with the mouth of people first. And what I'm getting at is that I have struggled in the last year especially because we, in our church, we, we have worship, but we also have this idea like worship has to be a certain length of time. I'm talking about music, right? Like singing, the singing, the worship, the raising of hands. Listen, I'm all into it. By the way, you should know that Bethel started a, a school of worship. I started that. It was my idea. I started the Bethel School of Worship. I was one of three people who started Bethel Music. Okay, so you get that. So I'm not saying I'm against this. I'm pointing out there's something I see in the body of Christ that I think in some ways is dramatically reducing us. In that we talk about worship and we, we, we instruct people how to lead worship. Like I'm all into it, so just let me finish before you decide what I'm saying. And we're like... And, 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 the, and, the, and the worship leaders and the, lead, and the leader of the, of the service is like, we have to wait till just the right, you know, it's like this climax happens and then, and then and they don't go up too soon because you might break the spirit of God. And we have this idea like, like something powerful, oh, don't interrupt right now, oh, the angels are moving right now. And I, I love it all except for what happens when it's over. Because when it's over, I've created an expectation that God moves powerfully and it's super sensitive, like you gotta get it just right. The music has to be just the right song. It has to be the right, oh, no, 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 don't go up too soon, don't go up too soon. You can interrupt the power of God's so can not move. And then, and then it actually happens just as we believe. And God moves powerfully in that moment. People get healed like we, we heard today. People get healed, people get delivered, people get saved, and all these powerful things happen. And I'm like, that's amazing. The challenge is I can't live at the tent. The challenge is that the people who need what happened at the tent the most don't ever come to the freaking tent. And here's the problem. Here's the real problem. The real problem is, is that the entire spirit world works by faith. Okay, follow me for a minute. The entire spirit world works by faith. In other words, what I believe, I receive. Okay, let me give you an example. I, I told you, like, I came up with the, first of all, I got saved in the Jesus movement. That tells you how old I am. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when I die, when I die, I, I don't want a portrait of me in Bethel. I'm going to have myself taxiderming. 
I got it all figured out. When I'm be, we're building a new building. I want to be right out front, taxidermy, just like this. I don't want them to forget me. I was with the Jesus people. Then I was with the Charismatics. Then I was with the Pentecostals. So I have all that in sight. And, and what I, when I learned to prophesy, I learned to prophesy with the Pentecostals. And the Pentecostals, how many of you have any Pentecostal background? Yes, some of you. So the Pentecostals, they always speak in tongues before they prophesy. So it goes like this. The Lord says unto you. <laughs> See, the challenge is, the challenge is, I was taught that that's how it had to be. And therefore, I believed that I could only prophesy if I spoke in tongues. Listen, no one said it. That's what was demonstrated. Are you with me? And it works really well as long as your ministry is only in the church. But you have to train and equip with deployment in mind. It's very hard to shamba in the mall. <laughs> like you shamba too much and they're like, he's, he's, he's having a seizure. <laughs> so as time went on and the Lord began to anoint us for other realms, the political realm, the, the arts, the, the business realm, you know, speaking you know, in the streets, the challenge is, is that you couldn't shamba. And because you couldn't shamba, the people who were with us didn't believe you could prophesy. Follow me. They didn't believe you could prophesy. Not because anyone said you have to shamba, but because that's how they demonstrated. What I'm getting at is we believed we had the shamba. Therefore, we had to. And as time went on, and we began to minister in other realms, and at first you just shamba quietly, like And pretty soon you'd forget the shamba and you'd still have the word of the Lord. And then someone like realized, like, hey, you don't have to shamba unless you believe you have to. Are you with me? And what I'm getting at is that we've created a culture in which we believe the music has to be just right. We have to be very careful because. The Holy Spirit needs exact, right environment to move. And we believe that. And the challenge is, is that we don't live that six days a week. And therefore, we don't see God move very often. Like he moves in the services. And so we're always trying to like, we need to get them to church. And I'd like to point out that God doesn't want to get them in church. God wants to get the church out of the building. Are you following me? And so, um, you know, Matthew 28, Jesus gets his disciples together and says, all authority has been given to me in heaven on earth. You know this verse. Go therefore and make disciples of nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, observing um, and teaching them all that I commanded you. So listen to this part. And I, 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 I know this is super simple, but it seems really profound to me today. Lo, I am with you. Always. <laughs> Even till the end of the age. Do you know, listen, I love worship. You get it? I love music worship. I love it. You get it? You understand? I've been trying to get on the worship team for 40 years. They will not let me. <laughs> listen, I should sing a song so you know I have some talent. Just maybe you could write a note. I started the worship school. They wouldn't even let me do worship. I, they, they, you can teach, but you're not leading any songs. And I think that sucks, actually. <laughs> But 
I forgot my point. <laughs> and it was a really good one too. But, huh? What was I saying? Oh, the Great Commission. I don't know what I was saying anyway. <laughs> Must not have been the Holy Spirit. But the point I'm really trying to make is this, is that we have to anticipate what happens on Sunday can happen on Monday. I know where I was going. I love worship. I love music worship. But the early church had no bands. They had no bands. I mean, you know, like they worship, you know, Paul and Silas worship. Yeah, one time in the book of Acts in prison, they sang. And it was so bad, the foundation shook. (laughs) I'm just pointing out that they did not have a perfect environment and yet they turned nations upside down. Why? Because they believed they should. Now, I, listen, I love the tabernacle of David teaching. I've taught it for years. I love what David did, you know, 40 years, 24-hour day worship. But I, we taught it. I believe it. I love it. I'm pointing out the book of Acts didn't do it. The book of Acts didn't have bands. They didn't have Levites. They didn't have worship teams. And they turned the world upside down because they had presence. My presence shall go with you. Are you with me? And I feel like that we're in a revolution right now where we actually need the presence of God to go with us wherever we go. We need to realize that we are holy priests. And listen, I tell our students, unless you can't convince God, listen, unless you can't convince, unless you have such a calling to be behind the podium, please don't be a preacher who stays in the walls of the church because we need Daniels, we need Josephs, we need Esthers, we need the most anointed people in the darkest places of the planet. Years ago, we were at Humboldt State University and there was a Baptist pastor there named uh, Pastor Clay Ford and he'd heard my testimony. I was demonized for three and a half years as a Christian and I got free. And he heard my testimony, and he had this class on Humboldt State University where the number one religion on Humboldt State University is Wicca. And he said, I'd love for you to come to my class. It's called Christianity and the Supernatural. Would you come to my class on, well, on Humboldt State University campus? So, yeah, that would be fun. So I brought a few of my students with me, and we went to Humboldt State University. And uh, Clay Ford's Baptist Church is on the campus of Humboldt State University. So we're literally walking from his church to the university back doors. And while we're walking, you know, I'm a little nervous. I'm like, you know, I, I, you know, I, I have never been to university. Like, I went to What's the Matter You? You know what I'm saying? The Italian college. <laughs> I got a degree in hammerology. So, you know, I'm like not used to this, this, this whole thing. So we get to the university campus and we're on the way into the back door, and he's telling me, like, okay, we're going to be in class. You have 40 minutes. You can't go 41 minutes because there's another class that comes in five minutes after that. So the one rule you can't break is you have to be on time, in and out. I'm like, okay. So we get to the back door of the university, and there's like, there's like 10 people with me, and I hear the Lord say, today I'm going to show off. I'm like, oh crap, I don't, I don't know what that means in university, show off. 
So we get to, we have, so I'm, I'm, I'm really nervous. I'm like, the Lord's saying, I'm going to show off. I'm in the university. I've never been to university. We've got 40 minutes. We're in the classroom. I'm like, yeah, this is really not good. So we get in the classroom, and the classroom's packed with about 40 students plus 10 of us. And I start telling my story about how the Lord delivered me from demons, knowing that most of the kids in that class are in Wicca. And so as I'm sharing, the students are like glued to the story. And uh, then I get to this place where the Lord delivered me, uh, and you know, this demon went out of me, and, he, and God freed my mind. And, and, so, uh, and then this girl raises her hand. Like We have like five minutes left. This girl raises her hand. And she said, I have a tormenting spirit. And I'm like, okay. And she goes, yeah, last night it came to my room, and it tried to run me over in my bed. I'm like, I have no idea what that looks like, you know? And she said, I stood up on my bed and I said, the, and she said, the, the week before, Clay Ford taught us about the power of the blood of Jesus. Like, this girl is not a Christian, right? And she said, the blood of Jesus sets me free. And the demon left. <laughs> and I go, yeah, but your mother's a psychic, right? She goes, yeah. And I go, you think you're a psychic, but God's called you to be a prophet. And so she starts crying and, 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 and Pastor Ford's like, out, out, out. Oh, we got to get out. <laughs> So now the whole class is like intrigued, right? And we're prophesying over some people in there. And, and so this girl comes and, I, and she goes, and I said, but you're, you're tormented still, aren't you? And she goes, yeah, and I have night terrors. And she's telling me this thing. So I said, okay, well, I grab her hands and we're walking out of the door. And, you know, people are trying to get out and other people are trying to come in. And I'm going to pray for her and go, you know, in Jesus' name, I rebuke the spirit, right? Well, before I could get out the name Jesus, she falls down in the doorway in a full-on, full-on manifestation, demonic manifestation. Like she's having like grand mal seizure manifestation. And I'm like, oh no, what are we going to do? So Pastor Clay goes, we got to get out of here. So we drag her down the hallway, four guys. Well, she's like, ah! Well, nobody goes into the classroom. Everyone follows us. <laughs> and we drag her outside into the, the, the back door. And this is where the students are changing classes, right? It's class change time. So people are coming. Well, anyway, we end up with like 150 people around her. Well, she's going a full-on manifestation. So I'm like, okay, I don't know what to do. So I get down and I pray for her. And I, I rebuke the spirit while everyone's watching. And she instantly gets delivered. And she gets drunk. And she starts rolling and laughing. And she's yelling, I'm free. I'm free. I'm like, okay, that, that's good. <laughs> So there's all these people in this big circle and everyone, and you know, and other people are coming like, is this a fight? What's going on? What's happening now? And you know, you can't, you have to kind of press in because she's on the ground and she's yelling, I'm free. And so I'm like, okay, Lord, what do we do now? And, and Pastor Clay looks over like, well, do something, you know? And I'm like, I, I don't know what to do. Except for I noticed that the people who are watching who aren't Christians, they're going, ugh, yeah, ugh. I go, well, this ought to be fun. So I start pointing to the people. I go, hey, you want some more of that? And they go, I don't know. And I go, well, just have it. And down they go. Pretty soon we have like 20 people on the floor all rolling around, like laughing, like holy roller laughing in the middle of this university. There's a guy holding hands with the girl. And he's like at that wall and he's, and he's pinned against the wall. And, 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 you know, like he's just pinned against the wall and he's, he's like looking like he's terrified. And so I look over at him. I go, what's your name? And he says, Joshua. I said, well, Joshua, your parents named you Joshua. I saw your daddy dedicate you to the Lord when you, were, when, you were, when you were born. 
He's like, yeah, my dad dedicated me. And his girlfriend falls down on the ground, grabs his legs and starts screaming, Lord, save my boyfriend. So we pray for him. He gets delivered. Anyway, we're there for three days. <laughs> Wicked people getting delivered. People challenging me in the courtyard, praying for them. Down they go and the Holy Spirit. I'm like, now this is what we ought to be doing right here. <laughs> and what I'm pointing out is that we need the Lord to be with us wherever we go. This is what we're called to be, right? Like, this is what we're called to be. I, um, we have this idea that we have to be hip. The church is obsessed with mirroring culture. But I'd like to point out that the Bible says arise and shine. It doesn't say arise and reflect. John the Baptist, I was going to read this, but... In Matthew chapter 3, I'll read this part. Matthew chapter 3, verse 1. Now in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness. Everybody say wilderness. wilderness. Repent for the kingdom of God is hand, at hand. For this is a reference by Isaiah the prophet when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, make ready the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John himself had a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. How many know that when you wore clothes that never came into style and you eat grasshoppers, you preach in the wilderness. <laughs> I don't know if you're getting where I'm going. It's a long passage, but it goes on to say that then Jerusalem was going out to him and all of Judea and this district around the Jordan, and they were all being baptized by him in the Jordan River, and they were confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees, and by the way, how many know that John's parents were Pharisees? He, was, he came up in a religious family. His dad was the uh, chief uh, uh, priest one year. And he, when he saw them coming, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee the wrath of God? Therefore, bear fruit in keeping repentance. And it goes on like that. And I want to point out that John the Baptist was out of style and totally relevant. His clothes were detestable. His diet was unpalatable. His message indigestible. His, his impact on history was undeniable. He was the son of a preacher, conceived by a miracle, announced by an angel, anointed by a king, filled with the spirit, and hated by the world. And what I'm getting at is this, is that we have this idea that we have to be hip. Like we have to like mere culture, we gotta have the right music, you gotta have the right sound, wear the right clothes, make sure people, you know, have a message that's like totally palatable, make sure you don't offend anybody. And I'd like to point out that if you're anointed, you can look like an idiot, eat crap, and preach in the wilderness, and everyone will come out to you. And I believe that God is doing something special in this church. And I want to prophesy something, and then I want to bring someone up in just a minute. But I believe that this church is moving from a pastorate kind of church where you gather people to an apostolic prophetic church where you train, equip, and deploy people. And I believe that God is moving in California. I believe that God is moving in California in a way that he's going to turn California upside down. And I believe, <laughs> here we go. I believe that the Lord is going to shift the morality in California over the next 20 years. 
And I believe it's not going to come from the political realm. It's not going to come from the arts. It's going to be coming from the people of God who bring the presence of God into the deepest, darkest places of the planet. And it's not going to come because you're hip, because you're surfers, because you listen to the right music, because you're, you know, cool LA people. It's going to come because you're anointed. And I believe that God is anointing this church in a way that even you will look back three years from now and you will say, I didn't even believe it when the crazy prophet came. But the Lord's gonna anoint you. And listen, he isn't gonna anoint one person, he's gonna anoint this whole congregation. And this congregation is going to move into cultural transformation. I wanna tell you that this church is going to move into apostolic ministry. I don't know if you know what apostles are, we taught it in the conference, but a lot of people weren't able to come. But the word apostle means sent one. But it means sent from, sent from a place to another place to reproduce in the place you're sent to what you're sent from until the place you're sent to looks like the place you're sent from. Let me just say simply, cultural transformation. Jesus named his disciples apostles because he wanted them to take the kingdom of God everywhere and transform the world. Then he gave them an apostolic prayer. What is it? Our Father who's in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be on as it is. How many understand we're trying to get everyone to heaven, but the prayer is to get heaven in everyone. And I believe that the Lord wants to turn the world upside down. I believe that the Lord has all authority and that he's given authority to the church. How many of you know you don't just have power, you have authority? And he said, make disciples of all nations. I believe that God doesn't just love people, that God loves nations. When I got saved, I shared this last night, I think. When I got saved, God gave me Isaiah 61. Two of my grandkids tattooed it on their arm. <laughs> I, didn't, I don't have a tattoo. I think they're dumb. If you have them, awesome. You should have them. Let's just defend everybody before we leave. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me, for the Lord has anointed me to preach the good news to the afflicted, to bind up the brokenhearted, to speak release to captives, freedom to prisoners, a favorable year of the Lord, the day of vengeance of our God, to grant all those who mourn in Zion, give them a garland instead of ashes, a mantle of praise instead of a spirit of heaviness, that he might call, that we might be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he be glorified. That's the first three verses. But the next verse says, then they shall return. Before I go on, who are they? The broken, the captive, the mentally ill, the person who have ashes that God made beauty out of. All of those seven categories of people who were broken, oppressed, depressed, oppressed, and demonized. God says, then they shall return. They shall rebuild the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations and rebuild ruined cities. My point is, is that once we get well, God goes, go work on your city. And I believe that we're in an Isaiah 60 moment. Arise and shine for your light has come. The glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Behold, deep darkness covers the earth. Deep darkness, the people, but the Lord will rise upon you. His glory will be seen upon you. Nations will come to your light. Kings to the brightness of your rising. Look all around, they all come to you. Your sons come from afar. Your daughters were carried in arms. Then your heart will thrill and rejoice because the abundance of sea is turned to you and the wealth of nations will come to you. It goes on in verse 14. And your gates will be opened continually. They will not be closed day or night so that the wealth of nations may come to you with kings leading the processions. I believe that God is about to fulfill the Isaiah 60 word, that he's bringing kings to us, that our gates aren't closed day or night. How many of you know the internet's open 24 hours a day, people bringing treasures to us. Why though? Because we 
are rocking the nations. We are changing the mindset of people. How many know that our world is in such disillusion? We have boys who don't know that they're boys. We have girls that don't know they're girls. We have people, number one cause of death among youth right now, suicide, people losing hope. And how many know in that darkness we rise? Like we were built for battle. We are more than conquerors. That means that we were at, people complain a lot. Oh man, I'm, I'm in a bunch of warfare. You were built for warfare. <laughs> you were born on a battlefield. God put the devil on the same planet he put you on. Not so he, the devil would defeat you, so you will crush him. How many know he put you and the devil on the same planet? Because he, he, the devil's sentence before he gets thrown in a lake of fire is that he would be crushed under your feet. God had made him powerless. He's disarmed and defeated. He's got no arms or feet. <laughs> He's in your swimming pool. His name be Bob. <laughs> and you have all authority. I'm pointing out that you are powerful. You're the only one who doesn't know it. The angels are with you. And we, we act like little victims. Oh, people are trying to close our churches. Oh my gosh, what are we going to do? I don't know. Why don't we be big? Why don't we be powerful? Why don't we actually begin to move in power? I love what it says in Acts 16, those who turn the world upside down have come here. This is our mandate. This is our duty. We're not, just tr- we're not trying to fill churches. We're trying to bring the kingdom wherever we go. We uh, started a school of technology uh, five years ago because we started thinking, how are we going to influence the information gate unless... We're in the information gate. Like, how are we going to influence the information age without influencing the information gate? So we started a coding school. Yeah, a coding school. We teach coding. And by the way, Newsweek Magazine rated us one of the top five coding schools in the nation five years in a row. Yeah. And they learn coding, but they also learn how to heal the sick. Prophesy. <laughs> they learn how to take the kingdom wherever they go. Last year, the only dead raising we had was a Bethel School of Technology student. The week before, he learned how to heal the sick. He went to the beach. A, gr- a little girl drowned, seven years old. They called the paramedics. She was pronounced dead on arrival. He's standing there, and he's thinking, hey, last week I heard nothing's impossible with God. I learned how to heal the sick. So he goes to the paramedics. Can I pray for the little girl? And he said, sure. He prays for her five minutes. She wakes up. She coughs up, and she's totally well. We are disguising revivalists as technologists. They look like everyday technologists. (laughs) But they're full of the kingdom of God. And they take coding, and they made it sacred. This is the way it ought to be. I believe that... This church is in a dramatic epoch shift. And that is going to look a lot different. I want want to warn you, discomfort is coming for the next year. And if you're comfort, if you're the kind of person that's comfort is who's gets comfort in the in the idea that you're in control, you're gonna be really uncomfortable. If you love if you love repetitive, the repetitive way of living, if you love predictability, you're going to be very uncomfortable because I believe that you're in a huge shift. 
And I believe that all things work together for good, and this shift is going to make you famous. And I believe that this place is going to become an eagle's nest where young prophetic people come here and they get trained, equipped, and deployed. And I believe that God is raising up Alex to be a prophetess in this house. I believe he's called her to be a prophetess in this house. And I believe that Alex, I believe that, I believe that Darren is a young apostle. I think you have a young apostle and young prophet. I think they're moving from being a big brother and a big sister to a father and mother. And I think that there's going to be a great shift as you guys begin to raise up people. How many know you train and equip with deployment in mind? If you only want to touch the church, you can shabba all you want. But if you want to touch the world, how many know there's protocol in mind? And I believe there's going to be a great shift in your church, and this church is going to become an apostolic prophetic church. It's going to grow. It's going to, it's going to be a mega church, but not because of how many people gather so much as the impact that this church has on first on California, and by the way, also on Australia for some reason. I don't know why, but I think you guys are going to plant an apostolic center in Australia. And I believe that God is going to shake the nations through this church. And I think that everyone in this room, everyone in this room is going to be a part of it. I'd like to bring Alex up. I asked ahead of time if I could bring Alex up and if we could pray for her. Come on up here. If I could have the elders come up or leaders or whatever you call the people who are in charge in this place come up, and, um, and if, if I could have you stand, are you nervous? No. Yeah, me neither. <laughs> Jesus said this, he said, if you receive a prophet in the name of a prophet, then you receive a prophet's reward. But he also made this statement, a prophet has honor except for in his hometown. I'd like it to be an exception that this prophetess has honor in your hometown. That you could say, that you could know her after the Spirit. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. But the most powerful verse in the last year for me is the 16th verse. It says, we know each other no longer after the flesh. For we knew Christ this way once, but we know him no longer this way. And the connotation is, is that we learn to know each other after the Spirit. I was telling this story um, I told it twice this week, actually. I don't know if you guys would know who Danny Silk is. He's really famous in our movement. And Danny was 16 years old when I met Danny. We worked in a tire store together. And Danny was, he was a drug addict and a drug pusher. And so I've ministered, I, 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 I tormented him, actually. I tormented him for years. And when I, I was in my own business when I was 22 years old, and Danny came, when Danny was 22 years old, Danny came to my shop one day, and he goes, hey, I want to do that thing, that thing you told me about, like for five years. I'm like, what thing? You know that thing where you say that thing, and then you become a Christian? I said, oh, you want to receive Christ? Yeah, that thing, that thing you were telling about. So why don't you come to church Sunday? So he comes to church Sunday. Bill gives an altar call. He comes forward. He gets saved. The very next Sunday, we have a prophet, Dick Joyce, who comes to our church twice a year. It's a really big deal every year. Our church is only 200 people. And that prophet, and by the way, our church does not know Danny. He is, he is running with the drug people. None of our people even know he's a drug addict. Dick Joyce calls him out of the, of the congregation the very next week. Obviously, never met him before. 
and says, I see a mantle on you. You're like James Dobson. You're like the next James Dobson. God's calling you, and he gives him this crazy word. Here's the deal, and here's why we're doing this with Alex here. That congregation did not know Danny. He was in our church one week. They did not know his drug past. All they knew him by is his prophecy forward. They knew him. They knew him future present, and they didn't know him past present. You know what happened? He became our senior pastor six years later. You know why? Because he didn't have to deal with his past in our congregation because they only knew him after his future. I feel like it's really important we anoint Alex in front of you. So that I love what Allison Armadine said. She's one of my students years ago. She said, I love to listen to other people's prophecies. I said, you like to listen to other people's prophecies? Why? She said, so I treat them not as they are, but as God sees them and invite them into their destiny. I feel like what you do in the next months with Alex is so important that she should be held accountable for this prophetic word, meaning that she should be held, you know, accountability means account for your ability, not your disability. And I believe that anointing her and commissioning her in front of you gives her a place of acceleration in which what would take her five years will happen in a year because you guys are going, hey, remember the word the Lord gave you? Remember, we're behind you, we're with you, the favor of the Lord's on you. Are you with me? So extend your hands to Alex, please. Oh, we got oil. We should pour it on our head. It's what they did in the Old Testament. Uh, We'll just give you a little dab of do you. Thank you, Lord. Lord, right now, we thank you, first of all, we thank you for Alex. We thank you for her life. We thank you, Lord, that she's been a daughter and a mother here. We thank you, Lord, for the ministry she already has here. And today, we commission her with the authority that we have in Jesus, that she would be a prophetess in this community. And Lord, that she would build a prophetic culture along with an entire team, but that she would lead a prophetic culture. And Lord, we pray that thousands of prophets would come from this house. Thousands of prophets would come from this house. I see prophets flying out of here like eagles, touching the world, saying, I was trained right here at the garden. Lord, I pray that the garden would become like Eden. Lord, I pray that this garden would be a beautiful place where people come in broken and they leave fully whole. Lord, that this would be a wholeness prophetic movement, that we would no longer have broken people we call prophets, mean people we go They are prophetic. But Lord, that we would have loving, godly, noble character, people who actually love the body, prophets who actually shift the course of history. And I pray, Lord, we talk about California dreaming. I dream that California would be shifted by the prophets. I'm reminded in the Old Testament, every time God wanted to shift culture, he raised up prophets. He raised up Abraham the prophet, and Moses the prophet, and David the prophet, and Elijah the prophet. And Lord, every time you want to shift history, you move first prophetically. In the book of Acts, you pour out your spirit, then you said, and they shall all prophesy. And Lord, you start the move of God in the book of Acts with prophecy. And Lord, we pray that Alex would be anointed with a team to raise up an eagle's nest that gives birth to thousands of prophetic people and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of prophets in Jesus' name. And everybody said, so be it.
So be it. God bless you. That's a good word. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit garden.church. Fire.